0: Who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Hello, America, and welcome to the latest edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. Yes, Tuesday morning, lots of news breaking out around the world, most importantly, what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. And we've got an amazing show for you through and through. We're going to focus a lot on Russia, Ukraine, and the Iran nuclear conversations occurring in the back shadows of this Russian conflict in Ukraine. A lot of people don't understand in America that the president, even as he is cracking down hard financially on Russia, is also relying on Russia to get a new deal, a resurrection of the old. Iranian nuclear deal that a lot of people thought was weak. Certainly, President Trump didn't cancel it. A lot of the experts have called that deal weak and yet still find an enormous amount of momentum towards resurrecting that deal. I think a lot of people are confused by that in many, many ways. So we're going to focus on that. One of our guests today is absolutely one of the most thoughtful national security policy thinkers and workers Dan Hoffman, former CIA station chief in Moscow, really an expert on all things Russia and on Russian tradecraft. And also, really, he's, uh, he's quite strong on the Middle East. And so he's going to bring a lot of common sense to the conversation that we need to have today. And I'm uh, looking forward to that and uh, trying to tackle some of the questions you've been sending me on Facebook and Getter and others, because a lot of people have concerns. And I think that that is really a, a remarkable... Um, moment in our history here. So we're looking forward to that. So big discussion coming up. And then tonight, check out the Just the News, Not Noise TV show on Real America's Voice. The former Israeli ambassador to the United States, Michael Oren, really one of the big picture thinkers in the world, going to talk about all things Russia, Ukraine, and Iran, and Kevin Brock, former intelligence director for the FBI, going to talk about the state of the FBI and what we've learned in the Durham investigation That's a concern us about whether the FBI is up to its standards when it comes to ethics and anti-political sentiments and just telling the truth to the courts, the American people, and the Congress. That's going to be a great show tonight. All right, before we go to commercial break and then have that great conversation with Dan Hoffman, I want to point out a really important story that broke on just the news this morning. My good colleague, Natalia Middlestap, put out a FOIA, Freedom of Information Act request, to the Dallas Police Department to get the body cam and dashboard cameras of the police stop of the August arrest of... Angela West. That is the wife of Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, famous conservative, former congressman from Florida, recent candidate for Texas governor, who just lost to Governor Greg Abbott in the Texas primary. And at the time she was arrested, Alan West was the chairman of the Texas Republican Party. And she was arrested for DUI, released after being in jail for eight hours. They took her three-month-old grandson from her. And then all charges were dropped, all charges. Very rare on a DUI to see it just, oh, we made a mistake and go away. We want to find out what happened in that traffic stop because Colonel West and his wife have said that something inappropriate, abusive, wrong occurred. So we fought the battle. We got the entire videotape. And again, keep in mind, I'm as pro-police as I can. My father served for 46 years in law enforcement, retiring as a police chief. My brother served more than two decades as a detective and also worked in the Secret Service on some important financial crimes. My family bleeds blue, but sometimes officers make mistakes. Sometimes officers do things that aren't correct. And while the mainstream media wouldn't look into what happened to Angelo West and into the claims that Lieutenant Colonel Alan West made, we did. And what we found on the videotapes is deeply disturbing. Keep in mind that what the police ultimately concluded to do was to arrest Angela West for driving under the influence. But this is what the videotape shows. First off, it shows that they administered her a breathalyzer, which came back below the legal limit, likely came back zero because her blood work ultimately showed she had no alcohol or drugs in her blood. But they administered the breathalyzer, and that was kept from the official police report. The public was not told for the last eight months there was a breathalyzer that warranted her being found not drunk, warranted her being released. All right. So that's one part of it. Two, when she's arrested, she doesn't get her Miranda rights. That's unusual. Police are supposed to do that. Most people believe that. Here's the third thing. Early in the encounter, and by the way, Mrs. West was cooperative. She was lucid. She sounded coherent. During the field sobriety test, she clearly passes the test. She's not stumbling. She's not bumbling. In fact, the cops are wondering why not. Well, maybe she's a professional drinker. They opine on the tape. But here's the big thing. If you're a cop and you stop someone and you think they're drunk driving, what's the one thing you do not do? You do not let them operate their vehicle, right? You have them shut off the car and you have them get out of the car. You do not let them drive. The tape shows the officers asking Angela West to take her car, move it around the corner to a safer location, and they follow her. You do not do that if you think someone's drunk. There is every reason to believe from the breathalyzer, from the field test, from the fact that they asked her to... Move her car when they thought she was drunk. That the police knew she was not inebriated. She was not drunk. She was not operating under the influence. And yet they arrested her, put her in prison or jail for eight hours. Took her three-month-old grandson away from her. There's something about this tape that does not seem right. Now listen, we had Bernie Carrick on the show last night. Walk through the videotape so everybody can see what's going on. He's as pro-police as they come. The former NYPD commissioner. Just listen to what he had to say after he watched this tape. It's jaw-dropping. As pro-police as you can get, Bernie Carrick, he had this to say about the Dallas police stop of Angela West.
1: I wouldn't have put her in cuffs, and nor would uh, a number of people uh, that I know that do this, especially the traffic uh, D.W.Y. stops. There was no justification for the stop that I saw. So I'll take you from the beginning of some of my observations.
0: Yes.
1: Number one, she initially pulled over on the side of the road. The officer told her to go ahead and move her car again. If the officer actually thought she had been drinking, and was impaired not to drive her car. She wouldn't have told her to go around the corner or park somewhere else. That's number one. Number two, when the officer walked up to the side of the car and approached her initially, She never asked her if she was impaired. She never asked her had she been drinking. In fact, she never asked her if she had been drinking until she was 34 or 35 minutes into the stop, right before she was going to arrest her and after the field sobriety test. I watched the field sobriety test. The field sobriety test, she did fine. In fact, she did so well in the field sobriety test that the actual sergeant on the scene, When he asked her why she was being arrested, he said, I don't know, I saw the sobriety test, I think I didn't see anything wrong. Only at that point did the officer say she smelled alcohol. If you walk up to a car and you stop somebody because you thought they were intoxicated or impaired, you would say, have you been drinking? I smell alcohol. There was none of that. As I watched this stop unfold, from the very beginning, I don't know, John. Uh, you know, I've been doing this thirty years, thirty-five years. I've made a number of these stops myself, but I also had a New York City highway cop that does this stuff for a living. I had him watch this stop. Right. He called me up, and he had two words. He said two words. He said setup. Mm. It was a setup. You know, I don't know what was the what was on the officer's mind but there doesn't appear any justification other than she swerved initially. She admitted she swerved. She was watching her, looking at her GPS. She admitted that the GPS was on the car. Um, I don't know, John, it's flaky to me.
0: Well, that's pretty clear, right? Uh, Bernie Carrick, something smells dirty and Dodge on this arrest, as he said, either an abuse of power or harassment. He's not happy about either option. Hey, listen, we want to give the benefit of the doubt to the police. Dallas police said they believe everything was okay with this rest. They didn't announce the breathalyzer because they did a blood alcohol. Well, that's kind of weird. They didn't feel that they needed to give her her Miranda rights at the point of arresting most defense lawyers. And you heard Bernie Carrick. He disagrees. But all that said, the reason we do just the news is to do things like this to give you stories and to investigate claims that the mainstream media has ignored great work by natalia middlestadt you can see all the videotape footage you can see all the documents we got from the dallas police you can see what bernie carrick said what alan west's reaction to this was at just the news.com check it out it's a great example of the type of original, exclusive public service type reporting we try to do in Justin News. All right. Speaking of public service, one of the great CIA officers of all time, Dan Hoffman, joining us right after this commercial break. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great, a field of greens stepped in one scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning. And boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down and my weight went down. And my doctor said, Hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's field of greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health, House Nutrition and, of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. all right folks welcome back from the commercial break this next guest every time he comes on the show we learn something very important we make a little bit of sense out of a very complicated and sometimes chaotic world joining me right now the former CIA officer and really one of the agency's premier experts on Russia and the Middle East Dan Hoffman Dan great to have you on the show oh thanks a lot
2: it's always a pleasure uh the only thing I think I might have to disagree with you on is I think the world's just always chaotic man I just can't remember when it hasn't been
0: that's a great you know what that's a great point
2: you know, we always used to say, you know, we looked at, at the world and all the threats that we face, you know, Russia, North Korea, China, uh, international terrorism. We, we all at CIA we used to say, gosh, if there's one silver lining, it's that we're all here. We have a chance along with our, you know, intelligence community and U.S. military partners, brothers and sisters, you know, to go out and serve our nation in a time of need.
0: Well, you know, most days we don't think about it as average Americans because we know someone else has their back on the front lines. Those guys and women in the agency like you and who work for years, the guys in the FBI, the guys in the military. A lot of days we just go to work not worrying about it because we know they have our back. And for that, we are darn, darn lucky. I'll tell you that. I want to get your assessment of where we are in this moment. We're about 12, 13 days into the conflict between Russia Russia in Ukraine, and it it seems like this is going to become a long-haul military uh, situation. What's your gut tell you about where we're headed with this?
2: Uh, I just think the darkest days are ahead of us. You know, Vladimir Putin uh, oftentimes used to escalate to de-escalate, but I think in this case he's escalating to win. And he has stepped up his attacks on civilian targets, uh, hospitals, uh, residential areas, He's trying to subdue the Ukrainian population by instilling fear in them. Right. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have the troops to handle an insurgency if we ever get to that point. But right now, because of just uh, poor Russian morale and bad logistics and and awful planning, uh, they are bogged down. And that means that they're likely to take more chances uh, with their targeting, you know, total violation of the law on armed conflict, but targeting uh, innocent civilians.
0: Yeah, they're they're clearly making a, a case for being a war criminal the way they're doing things. And um, it makes you wonder why they have to stoop to that level. And I want to ask you something that President Zelensky just said a little bit ago, which is he thinks that Putin is desperate enough to attack NATO. Now, Zelensky's very good at propaganda and messaging. And so but uh, is that a real possibility that Putin might strike out beyond Ukraine and, and really spin uh, Europe into a world war?
2: So we can't rule out anything. Right. Uh, at this point, anything anybody says, including President Zelensky, is just speculation. Right. Uh, but we shouldn't, just as we shouldn't take things off the table. So right now we're talking about a, a, a even a partial no-fly zone. I don't think that's a good idea right now, but, but it's okay to talk about it. But we shouldn't take it off the table, as Senator Joe Manchin said, and I agree with him. We shouldn't have taken off the table the idea of sending U.S. troops to Ukraine. I'm not saying we should do it. Right. Uh, but... Let's not take anything off the table. Let's keep the enemy guessing about what we might or might not do. Uh, Because when we take things off the table, we lose a little bit of leverage. So I think, you know, historically, we have uh, kept our options open a little bit better. And right now we're not.
0: A lot of people I've talked to privately, and these are people inside government now or among our allies in, in Western governments, said that they're so shocked by the lack of uh, command of soft power, that what Biden has failed at, and a lot of things he's done well in the economic sanctions are definitely having a significant impact in Russia, they tell me, but that his projection of soft power is so flawed that it basically makes it irrelevant. Do you agree with that assessment? How do you assess our soft power capabilities right now?
2: So we've got great capabilities. It's maybe our greatest strength. Uh, but yes, I think you know President Biden has not shown that he's capable of a uh, President Ronald Reagan or a John F. Kennedy moment. You know, he's just failed, in my estimation, at least, to win the information war against Russia. And it's eminently winnable. The Russians are lying. Yeah. Uh, you know, Putin says he's fighting neo-Nazis, really. I mean, president of <laughs> Ukraine is Jewish yeah. uh, and drug dealers. And he's, you know, the way Putin portrays the war is obviously at odds with the basic facts. But more importantly than that, as a concerned citizen, I would love to see President Biden get up on the bully pulpit, as President Teddy Roosevelt used to like to call it, and say a few things to, to Russia and to the world and say, hey, you know, this is Vladimir Putin's war. He always said that he thought that the collapse of the soviet union was the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century right. well you russian citizens should recognize that's where he's taken you yep. he has cratered his economy he is repressing all of you by denying you your human rights your access to information just like they did in the soviet days and if you think that things are going to get better because china's going to come to your rescue I think you all probably want to rethink that. You know, Russians like to travel to the West. They like to send their kids to school in the West. They like to go shopping in the West. That's all going to be ending for you. You know, you want to live behind a Vladimir Putin imposed iron curtain. Well, that's what you're going to get until you decide that you've had enough of it. And we will hold you accountable, Vladimir Putin, for this. But more importantly, Russians need to hold him accountable. I wish he would say something along those lines. I'm no speechwriter, but please. But I don't, I just, we haven't heard it. And I just, obviously, I don't think he's, that's not where he's looking. To, you know, it's not what he's looking to do.
0: And it seems as though there's more unrest on his side of the curtain than we've seen in a long time. I mean, there are like four or five thousand people arrested over the weekend, if you believe the Council of Human Rights groups. That that sort of protest we haven't seen very often in Russia, which tells me that there's also been these public moments where you can see members of his staff wincing or or seeming to disagree in public with him. Uh, it seems like that can be exploited, and we just haven't picked at it yet. Could the Iran deal, could the desire of the Biden administration to get an Iran nuclear deal be influencing the way we're playing psyops and in information warfare right now?
2: I don't know if one influences the other so much in that sense, although it's, it's certainly possible. Look, I've always felt from the years I served in government that nothing happens in a vacuum. So right. what we're seeing right now in the in the in the, the conduct of Russia's war against Ukraine and the options that we're looking at dealing with it, It's all interconnected. Our relationship with China, look at Venezuela and Iran uh, and our European allies. Everything is impacted by this war. It's like our whole international system got a big jolt after Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine. This administration's always been trying to resuscitate what was a bad deal. Uh, Secretary Blinken said early on he was going to get us a longer and stronger deal. I haven't seen any evidence of that. We know JCPOA was a bad, flawed deal and not even – Democratic Senator Chuck Schumer would vote in favor of it. So I sincerely hope that this administration doesn't, out of some perceived uh, need to be expedient about our other uh, global challenges, starting you know, with Russia, that they, that they go ahead and sign on to what would be a bad deal, because that's going to hurt our national security in the long run
0: yeah there's no doubt about it and i think that's the you know we got to look at the full chessboard here and understand the long-term consequences of every move there was a, I, I think a pretty significant moment today first the Euro- european union says it has a plan to wean itself and wean itself entirely off russian oil by 2030 that is a big announcement whether they do it or not it clearly factors into putin's uh calculations now and then the president of the united states here now saying that he's ready to ban russian oil imports uh Energy has always been the geopolitical tool of warfare for Putin. Uh, are, is this a moment where Europe and the West has woken up that letting this guy have an oil market doesn't make sense?
2: A little bit, except 2030 is a long time from now. Yes. And <laughs> President Zelensky, you know, he was a comedian once upon a time, but he's not, you know, I don't think he'd find much mirth in, uh, in this yeah. basic fact. Eight factor. years he, off. Yeah. yeah, thanks. I might have eight days or eight hours. Right. So, no, that's not good enough. Uh, should have done it years ago. You know, we had plenty of time to think about this after uh, Russia invaded Georgia. That might have been the seminal moment. We could, of course, correct it. But the Obama administration went for a reset policy yeah. instead, much to my chagrin. Um, I remember I was working at the time on Russian operations at CIA. And uh, and I told, you know, Ambassador to Moscow, I said, hey, you know, I'm going to carry this out. I support it because it's the policy. But I'm going to tell you that I don't think it's a good idea to kill for reset with the guy who just invaded another country and still occupies it. doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense to me. So, yes, this is, it's a fine development, but, you know, Vladimir Putin, let me tell you, from what I learned about the Russians, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin's interested in, in today. And if he has to create a bigger problem for tomorrow just to be alive another day, he's okay doing that. Yeah. So this is okay, but it's a little bit too little and a lot too late.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think most American and Westerners don't understand Putin the way you do. I mean, he is very venal, and he makes decisions in his own interest, in his own interest only. There, there may not be a long-term, you know, obviously he has the ambition of, of building back the USSR or some form of a Soviet empire buffer for him, but he also doesn't seem to be too concerned about 10 days from now. He seems to be about the present always. Where is, uh, what is it with Zelensky? Zelensky seems to be living in Putin's. Had rent free. Uh, Putin seems to be obsessed with knocking him off. What has Zelensky done to really antagonize uh, a Putin? And are you surprised by the strength of the Ukrainian resistance as well?
2: So first on Zelensky, he is a 21st century leader. He's a populist who knows how to clap back on Twitter. He knows the optics of. Uh, you know, the delivery, it matters so much. Look at Vladimir Putin meeting with his national security team as if it were 1942, right. separated by 25 meters. And Zelensky's in a bunker hugging his minister of defense. Yep. Or the great picture of Zelensky and his team eating classic Ukrainian food, uh, which I've eaten many times in Ukraine, uh, just sitting around a table, you know. And, and so he, and he knows that. I mean, Zelensky has done an exceptional job of um, making these strong pithy statements. You know, when we offered him a chance to leave Ukraine, he said, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. The fight is here. That's a sound bite, man. But he understands how to do that because, Hey, he grew up, you know, he's got a degree in law, so he's a smart guy, but he also grew up in, in the world, not dissimilar from president Reagan yep. in a sense, you yep. know, and so he knows, he knows how to speak to the world. And in fact, lots of other Politicians could take a few pages out of his playbook because it's working. Vladimir Putin is old school KGB. Think of the 1980s. That's his strategy. Um, He's not going to win over any hearts and minds. He's got to repress people and force his propaganda message through his state-owned TV on the Russian people. That's not going to work for too long because there are dead soldiers, uh, Russian dead soldiers whose moms are wondering what happened to them and why they went to fight. And the Russian economy is cratered. You know, Putin always made his mark saying that he would deliver stability in the wake of the wobbly, you know, Yeltsin years and that 1998 financial collapse in Russia where people were running into their ATMs. Well, how stable does Russia look right now? So Zelensky has won uh, the moral, ethical, psychological ground. And you want to know why, you know, the Western democracies have been awakened from their post-Cold War slumber? it's not because of president Biden's kinder, gentler approach or president Trump's strong arm tactics. It's president Zelensky and his Ukrainians. You know, I I've been to Ukraine a lot and I know the people there. I know their security services and their military. Uh, They've been fighting for eight years since Russia annexed Crimea and, 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 uh, and invaded Donbass, the Eastern Ukraine. Uh, They're going to fight for their country and that's what they're doing. And, uh, it it gives me so much hope to see Ukrainians fighting for what we hold near and dear, liberty, freedom, and democracy, everything enshrined in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. You know, God bless them.
0: Yeah, no, they're reminding us why we should be taking more treasure in the liberties that we've been blessed to have for 240 years because they're fighting for it in ways that uh, we haven't seen in a long time. I want to ask you about the dynamic in the Iran negotiations. If the reports are true that three career negotiators resigned because they couldn't believe the concessions we were making. What does that say about the state of these uh, negotiations and, and the type of deal we might end up with? You didn't think the last deal was very good, right, in terms of a strategic interest for the United States. What could we end up with this deal?
2: I mean, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that we do any better than the last deal. The Iranians have been holding fast to their version of events, which is that the United States withdrew from the past deal and that in order... To even consider negotiating something new, we've got to get back in the last deal, which was a bad one, given the fact that there were sunset clauses, didn't deal with Iran's ballistic missile capability or their state sponsorship of terrorism. So it was a horrific deal. And, you know, things like that, when you make a a bad deal like that or when you fail to give Ukraine the military assistance that they need in 2014, President Obama failed to do that. uh, Or you call you know Syria a quagmire for the Russians, which is not what it was after Russia deployed their troops there. It has long-standing consequences. And so I am concerned about this Iran nuclear deal. Uh, I just don't think that um, I don't see us winning this one. Now, maybe they'll they'll pull out a great deal and surprise us. But right now, I'm a little bit uh, concerned about that, that this administration is going to be unable to to get the right deal that, that protects us. And remember, if the money starts flowing back to Iran, look, we know what the lesson is from them, from Russia, from China. You know, they power Their anti-West, anti-American policies, and in the case of Iran, kinetic attacks against our allies, Israel in particular and us, uh, with the money that they earn, uh, whether it's, you know, in Iran's case from from oil or we, you know, relieve the sanctions. So a lot of concern there for sure.
0: The um, end game. So I had a chance to talk to the former ambassador from Israel to the United States, Michael Oren, today, and he said that, listen, what worries him most about what's going on in Ukraine and Russia is that we're one mistake, one errant missile away from a potential uh, tactical nuclear engagement or even a strategic nuclear engagement. Is uh, Is the box so dry? Is this a tinderbox that really could spin out of control or is there restraint even amongst, even in the midst of a lot of violence?
2: Yeah, I don't think it's quite like that, like yeah. a hair trigger, the way he's describing it. Uh, but the, the U.S. Department of Defense ha- engages with their with their Russian counterparts. We've been doing it for years. They're yep. doing it right now. No one wants a nuclear war. Both sides, I think, the Russians in particular, have practiced some brinkmanship in the air, where they fly real close to our fighter aircraft. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, I think both sides understand the last thing we want to do is 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 risk a nuclear war, which is why. You know, in for this, I think there's a bipartisan consensus that while we shouldn't take a no-fly zone off the table, that at the moment that's not something we want to be doing. Right? We don't want to be, you know, in in the past we fought a lot of proxy wars against the Russians. They fought us in Vietnam. We fought them in Afghanistan. Remember, they fought us in Afghanistan after 9/11. The Russians were supplying material assistance to the Taliban, which was enabling them to kill our soldiers. So that's that's Russian proxy war against us under Vladimir Putin. Uh, But but we haven't engaged in direct military conflict with, uh, with the Soviet Union, obviously, or with Russia. But, again, I think these days you know, we've got the good, the good connection right now between our respective um, defense ministries. And that's a good thing to be doing because, you know, on the side, I hope our, our generals are advising their Russian counterparts that this is a bad war for them and they ought to be thinking about how
0: to stop it. Yeah. Great point. Absolutely. Dan, it's always an honor to have you on the show. You always have a sane picture and you, always, you, make, you, you paint the chessboard in a way that we can best understand it. And I, I'm always grateful for that. And I can't wait to get you back on. We're in for a long conflict here, it seems like. And having your voice in the mix is so important.
2: Oh, uh, well, thanks a lot. It's always a pleasure and an honor to join you uh, on the program. And I wish you and all your listeners all the very
0: best. Thanks, my friend. We'll talk to you real soon. Okay, look forward. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to have more interesting stuff to talk about, uh, some investigative things coming up on the horizon right after this commercial break. Hey, folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews. And for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews. And extend the invitation to a friend or a family member for free. What a great opportunity. Folks, if you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car, we know what it is. It's old fashioned theft. It's crime, we know it. Criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset, our homes. Older Americans are most vulnerable to these types of thefts and that's because they more often own their homes outright. An 88-year-old Florida woman recently discovered that scammers forged her signature, created a fake deed to her home, and then took her property. Those who buy a property from a deed theft scammer often become victims as well. What can you do to protect yourself? It's simple. My good friends at Home Title Lock provide the premier detection technology to protect your home and its title. The instant they detect an activity or something suspicious, they mobilize to help shut it down. We won't know a thief took us off our title until it's too late. That's why Title Lock jumps into action right away. The titles to all our homes are easily found online. A criminal or renter, even a family member, can simply forge your signature on a home sale form, then he or she refiles as the new owner, and bam, All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. I know your head is still spinning from all we just talked about with Russia and Europe and Iran, but I wanna pivot to politics, domestic issues, because there is a real opportunity in a very blue state this year, Oregon, for Republicans to succeed. A lot of top-notch candidates are being recruited, and the legacy of some of the Democrats here, particularly Governor Kate Brown, has really alienated the populace, the big heavy-handed COVID restrictions, the cost of taxes, an extraordinary moment. And you might not be thinking Oregon has a chance to turn red, but there's a lot of signs it will. And my next guest has just that ambition to turn it red. Joining me right now is the Republican candidate for Oregon governor, Carrie McQuiston. Carrie, great to have you on the show.
3: Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: You have an amazing biography. Your family has long, deep roots in in Oregon. Tell us a little bit about you and what got you to this point of saying, I'm going to run for office.
3: You know, my family does have very deep roots in Oregon. I'm a seventh generation Oregonian. My two daughters are eighth generation. I grew up on on a family cattle ranch over in Baker County, which is in the northeast corner of the state. So I'm coming into this actually with an executive level corporate background. Then I started my own business, my own publishing company in 2007. Um, so I'm a, I'm a not a politician, <laughs> for sure, right. I'm a business owner, which which I think is very beneficial to the state. I also serve as mayor of Baker City right now.
0: Uh, fantastic, and, and uh, so you have that urge in politics, you've got that record, and now you're, what gives you that calling, what gives you that ambition to go for governor? What has happened to your state that says, you know what, I can jump in there and do a better job? What's been going on in Oregon?
3: You know, Oregon is on the edge of a cliff. It's a nightmare here. And if you came in from another state, you wouldn't believe what it's like now. And we came from having that pioneer spirit to being um, just in the middle of oppression. And so with the mandates that we faced from Salem, um, we were giving up and we're still giving up our First and Second Amendment rights. And this is bigger than just the mandates that we were pushing back against in Baker City. This is about our freedoms. You know what I looked out and saw was that, you know, government is supposed to derive its power from the consent of the governed. And the shocking part of this was that the governed were, were complying. Right you know, across the state, we saw mass compliance by, you know, fear and, and weakness and just ignorance as to what our our rights actually are. And so it, it was time to step up, and that's exactly what I did, just in my position as mayor here in Baker City.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. There is a wing of the Democratic Party that I think sold a lot of America on the idea that big government can solve big problems. And then after watching that go into action for a few (laughs) years, they're like, big government can't solve anything. It's worse. Um, It seems like there's this re-education moment, right? This moment to remind people that smaller is better, local is got Uh, more possibilities and that bringing power closer to the people is the winning moment. Federalism seems to be coming back in a big way, certainly in the south with Texas and Florida. Uh, Are the people of Oregon ready to have a conversation that maybe bigger wasn't better?
3: You know, I think for the first time in a very long time, yes, because I am a straight up conservative Republican and I'm seeing JFK Democrats come on board. I'm seeing the non-affiliated voters in Oregon come on board. There's a huge shift here. And then when we get to the general election, we've actually had a lifelong Democrat, Betsy Johnson, who has leapfrogged over her Democrat party's primary to come in as a non-affiliated. And so she's going to be a splitter candidate for the Democrats. So if we're going to do it, this election is the time to do it. We have the
0: numbers yeah having that three-way could be a really important dynamic in terms of getting out the vote and winning by plurality as you look out over the uh horizon what are the biggest issues that oregon oregonians want settled what are they looking for in their next governor uh, what are the issues that are really bubbling to the top of the agenda
3: so you know everything falls underneath those two categories of loss of freedom and gross mismanagement uh, and so beneath that there there are issues like um, catastrophic wildfires across the state because of lack of land management. We have obviously the the rioting and the crime and the looting that happened in downtown Portland that was just unchecked. You know, that that hurt our business community. And gosh, we have our natural resource industries that are being squelched across the state, which is creating, you know, much like um, our our lack of oil coming in, lack of self-sufficiency, lack of independence. We need that in our state to have a healthy economy. So then we have enabling of the homeless, which is a huge issue across the state now. Many things.
0: Wow. And you wouldn't think of, you know, think of Oregon, you don't think of homelessness, but that is one of the main things that we've seen a, a large growth on. Um, Kate Brown ended up with two terms. where she came in with a scandal, she's always sort of had these controversies around her, this idea that her government's beholden to donors or to uh, uh, ideological interests, lots of different um, revelations about donors getting contracts and all. Do you think Kate Brown, even though she's not running, hovers over this election in terms of the choice that Oregonians are, are facing?
3: Oh, and she absolutely does. So she's the least popular governor in the United States right now. And she's termed out at present. But anyone associated with her regime is going to come in with that hanging around their neck. And that's exactly what I believe the nominee, I think, will be Tina Kotek, And that's what she's coming in with. And anyone who looks at her thinks of Kate Brown. That's, that's going to be to her detriment.
0: Yeah, no, there's no doubt. Uh, is there lessons uh, or road mapping that one can take from Glenn Youngkin's victory in sort of blue-purple Virginia and apply to Oregon? I mean, obviously, different states, different economies, different electorates. But there seems to have been a resonance with Republicans who uh, want to put parents first, want to put the economy first, maybe want to reject big government because it just didn't work for us and want to get freedom back. Um, how much have you studied Glenn Youngkin's win and is there any application to what Oregon has done?
3: You know, to some degree, and, and yes, we celebrated that over here as well. So <laughs> there's an issue that stands out from that race. And, and the issue was uh, parental rights and their children's education. Yeah. So that's the thing that I can apply very effectively here in Oregon. Because, um, gosh, you know, we're spending the most amount of money in the state, um, in the United States, but we're getting the least payoff. Our education system is in the tank right now. It's awful. And what I actually did was take my child out of the public school system. We formed a one-room schoolhouse or homeschool
0: time. No kidding.
3: And I did. She was not masked, muzzled, segregated, put behind plexiglass. None of that happened to her the last (laughs) two years in Oregon wasn't going to allow it and it really drove home what could happen if we just had the money following the children in our school system in Oregon we could put that free market economy back into our education system and it would raise the standard and lower the prices all at once
0: yeah uh, there's no doubt Uh, one of the things that I think about Oregon from a national perspective is that it was the test bed for a lot of the liberal uh, soft on crime policies, We, you know, Portland was lit up for a very long time by protesters and the enormous financial damage and businesses ruined and lives ruined for a long time. But Governor Brown also had this record of granting clemency for felons, and it got uh, quite controversial to the point that there's a lawsuit and clemency has been put on hold for a little bit. Talk a little bit about how the soft on crime or the uh, go easy uh, judicial reform, whatever they call it in the liberal circles, uh, how it backfired in this state.
3: It's backfired in a number of ways. I mean, we have actually backed with the COVID mandates. She cut our jail capacity just about in half across the state. Mm. So that was the start of it. We couldn't keep our, our criminals in jail. Right. And then that first year, um, a FOIA request showed that she had released about a thousand hardened criminals at that point, and gosh, a couple hundred, two, three hundred more this last year. And these are not uh, just petty thefts and things like that. These are murderers and rapists that have been turned back out onto our streets. And so I was aware when that uh, lawsuit started to be drafted and I think it actually has a, sh- a shot of winning, which would be wonderful. There seems to be this uh, concentrated effort in Salem to actually uh, raise crime in the state of Oregon instead of lower it.
0: Yeah, uh, it's an amazing moment. Uh, some of the people that were in the pipeline for clemency just created such heinous crimes or involved in such terrible behavior. It almost shocks the conscience to think that a governor would be seriously thinking about letting them out. And um, I think it's part of a larger story, but Oregon, I think, becomes the large uh, epitome of it. What is the path for you? How do you get from where you are at this moment as mayor to being in position to win? What what needs to happen over the next several months for you to execute your battle plan and succeed?
3: You know, it's very interesting this time because I'm coming in with a lot of folks. Uh, We have so many candidates 17 18 at present but there's only you know that top tier of candidates who are actually competing and qualified and viable and so i'm falling into that category um the rest really are kind of uh duplicates of themselves to tell the truth um they're coming in very heavily self-funded for the large part or lobbyist purchased and they're vying for these votes along the i-5 corridor but we have an entire state out here we have rural oregon and so I'm bringing those votes in. You know, I'm going to get my piece of the pie from the I-5 corridor, yep. but I'm bringing in rural Oregon behind me. And that's what it's going to take to excite that truly conservative base and uh, flip the state. I mean, We have to have that. Past elections in Oregon have shown us that if we put a moderate fourth from the primary, we will lose. If we put another candidate who looks like every other candidate through, people will sit on their ballots here in Oregon. So th- this is the key to winning just... The, not only the primary but the general election and that's critical
0: yeah it really is I, I've been fascinated in watching your campaign and some of the traction it's gotten because it really has begun to get noticed around the country uh, when you step back and you look at it, one of the things I think is really appealing, you, you grew up in Main Street America. You built a business from the ground out. You know what it takes to uh, have a business. And it seems like Main Street America has been one of the most victimized segments of America, whether it's the COVID restrictions uh, or there's the overall impact of COVID, uh, the tax policies, particularly in some of the progressive states, uh, and the, you know, the general lack of understanding of politicians of what makes a business successful and what government can do to get out of the way how big a role will small business play in determining this election
3: you know the, the damage that small business received plays quite a role because we lost thousands of businesses in Oregon just due to the mandates. I mean the folks that are uh, elected right now in Salem are absolutely clueless what goes on in the rest of the state and they don't understand what it's like to have to, to make payroll to, to write paychecks and to be responsible for all of that and when I stood up to Kate Brown here in Eastern Oregon And put that resolution forth that defended our business community, Oregon's small business community rallied around me. I have dozens of endorsements across the state from business owners. I mean, that's that's grassroots at its absolute finest.
0: Yeah, no, it really is. One of the other things I've known, Oregon's one of the most beautiful states, and it's hard not to be lured there by its beauty, its natural resources, uh, its people, but it has really seen a market growth in population decline or, or slowing of its population growth. It was very popular for a very long time. Is that a, a function of people voting with their feet, saying it's just too expensive, it's too crazy with its crime, too crazy with its restrictions? What do you take from the slowing of the what was for quite a while explosive population growth in Oregon?
3: Mm-hmm. People are leaving. I was in that situation myself before I decided that you know fight was the answer, answer instead of flight but I hear it all over the state and I see it. People are packing up and they're moving out of state. You know, South Dakota, Wyoming, and Florida look pretty appealing to people that yeah. come now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's an amazing thing. You look over and say the grass really is greener at the neighbor's yard and I want to go over there. It's pretty uh, pretty remarkable. Uh, this is really amazing time for us. And Christy, how do people stay, Carrie, how do people stay in touch with you in your campaign and what you're doing right now? What's the best way in Twitter, Facebook, your campaign site?
3: Yeah, they can go to com, and all of my social media links are on there as well, or they can come find me in person. I mean, we have a really amazing fundraiser event coming up on March 23rd in Oregon City. We have Kelly Ward from Arizona coming up to Kansas Cam- Cam- Oh, for now. sure. Yeah. Oh, she's wonderful. She's, you know, President Trump's first lady of election integrity. Yeah. She can't do better than that.
0: So. Very exciting, uh, very exciting time. And uh, we're really looking forward to watching this race play out and have you back on before the year's out to see what's been going on. It's uh, really been a pleasure to get to know you and to introduce you to our audience here, Carrie. Really appreciate that.
3: Oh, I appreciate it as well. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Have a great day, folks. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Factor makes it easy as they are flexible to your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to eighteen meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Plus, Factor meals are one hundred percent ready to heat and eat, usually in just two minutes. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Head to FactorMeals.com/justnews50 and use the promo code JustNews50 to get fifty percent off. That's the code JustNews50 at Factormeals.com. One more time, Factormeals.com slash Just News 50. Use the Just News 50 code and you will get 50% off your first order. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. So grateful you can join us. So glad you were part of the show today. Really enjoyed the conversations. It really gets you thinking about where we are. And of course, go check out that very important story we did on Angela West and the what appears to be an inappropriate police arrest of a woman who was not drunk, but arrested for DUI anyways, even though the evidence on the videotape would suggest she did nothing wrong. Really important stuff. All right, hey, before you go, remember, we have incredible partners, incredible supporters, advertisers, sponsors who have great products, great services, and they open up their door to us. They make things available to Just the News and John Salomon Report fans because they care about us and they're supporting us. One of those is my great friends at Workable. If your company or business is having a tough time hiring people in this very tight labor market, right? We heard about all the people leaving the market, how hard it is to find full-time workers. Well, guess what? You need to find the right candidates and hire them fast, and there's one way to do it. Workable can help. Workable accelerates every step of your hiring process from finding a hire to starting the hire today. And all you have to do to get a risk-free 15-day trial is go to workable.com and start hiring. One more time, workable.com. If you own a business, you have responsibility for hiring or staffing, I'm telling you what a great company Workable is. They'll find the right employee, do all the right things, help you onboard them, at a fraction of the cost and take all that burden off you, go check out workable.com. They're great supporters of this show and of Just the News, and they've got an incredible product and suite of services. All right, folks, a special thanks to Dan Hoffman, to Carrie McQuiston, two great guests, learned a lot today. Republican, running in Oregon, watch out for that. That's going to be an interesting story. Dan Hoffman, one of the most important voices in the national security realm. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports. Until then, remember, check out the new Just the News, Not Noise TV special, our TV show tonight on Real America's Voice, Channel 219, on Dish Network, Channel 240, on Pluto, on Roku, Apple, Samsung, The Just the News app. Just click the watch button. You'll find us there. Lots of great places to watch a very important show. My great co-host, Amanda Head, always makes it interesting. Michael Orn, former Israeli ambassador. Kevin Brock, former intelligence chief for the FBI. Two amazing guests tonight. If you can't get enough of me, my wife has plenty of me, but if you can't get enough, we've got some great guests tonight. Go check them out. All right, folks, that wraps it up. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and may God bless this extraordinary country, the United States, you've been listening to, John Solomon reports, a podcast from Just the News. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34-plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. So start your free course, American Citizenship and its Decline, with my good friend, Victor Davis Hanson, today. How do you do that? Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash justnews to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. And it's an easy URL to remember. All you got to do, go to hillsdale.edu slash justnews. One more time, hillsdale.edu slash justnews.